And then in Romans 10.13 it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you can memorize those three verses, you can have an answer for anyone who walks up to you and says, How can I be saved? That's how you can be saved. I'm just going to talk a little bit about Romans 10.13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What we see in Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's two components there, right? One of them is the act of confession, and one of them is the heart internals that there's a belief, right? In James, it tells us that faith without works is dead. So to believe something and never act on it means, do you really believe it? Right? Is this chair going to hold me up as the old cliche? If I sit on it, I have faith in that chair. I sit on the chair, and it holds me up. Now, you may say to me, Vic, where in these verses is this idea of repentance? Because if you look through Scripture, you'll see repent and believe in God. Repent and believe in God. That's a pattern and a theme over and over and over in the Scripture. You can find it. Just look up the word repent, and you'll just see that pattern. And so that is where we get our normal sinner's prayer, right? I'm a sinner, Lord. Please forgive me. I invite you into my heart to be my Savior and my Lord. So that is a synthesis of Scripture. But I had a good brother of mine remind me that the first repentance that happens when a person is that they believe in Jesus. Out of the belief that Jesus is Lord will flow repentance from sin. Because if Jesus is Lord, then what he says is true. What he says is don't sin. Right? So I want you to be sure that you can say, believe, in Je believe Jesus is Lord, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Right? So let's go with that. If you guys can memorize at least those two verses, you'll be ready for evangelism. Right? So what happens when someone comes up to you and they grab you by the shirt and say, how can I be saved? What are you going to say? You can at least say these two verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall be saved. For if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right. You're ready for evangelism. If you can just memorize those verses over this week. All right. But let's talk a little bit about why people need to be saved. Why do I need to be saved? What am I being saved from? Because I got it pretty good here in America. My wife and I have four automobiles. <laughs> We're doing well. I have a big old house that we only use three or four rooms of. I don't need any much saving. I got a nice job. Well, let's look at what the Lord says. I'm going to take you on a different path than usual. And we're going to start with a little verse where Jesus had sent out these fellows into the world to go preach about that the kingdom is here, right? The kingdom is near. So he sent them out, they preached, and they discovered while they were out there that they had authority over demons, and they could actually cast demons out and heal the sick. 
And so when they came back to Jesus, they were ec ecstatic. I'm sorry. <laughs> they were ecstatic. And so Jesus says to them something kind of jolting. He says in Luke 10, 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that, you, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Okay? So what is Jesus talking about, that your names are written in heaven? Let's look at the first place that I see something about your names being written in heaven. It happens to be in this weird place in Exodus where you might know the story. Moses goes up on the hill for 40 days he's up there, and God actually creates a tablet and writes the Ten Commandments on him himself. And then he, God speaks to uh, Moses after they've been there a while and says, the people of Israel are, are doing evil. And so Moses goes down. He finds out that they had, it had taken 40 days. Where did Moses go? Maybe he's dead. Let's make gods for ourselves. And so they put together uh, some calves made of gold and they started worshiping them as worshiping this calf as God so Moses handles it he breaks up he's angry he smashes God's tablet of the Ten Commandments he breaks up the golden calf grinds it into powder and makes the Israelites drink it then he comes back up the hill to God and what does he say in Exodus 32 31 so Moses returned to the Lord and said Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. And God replies, Exodus 32, 33. But the Lord says to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. If you're interested in reading more about this dialogue, you can do so. But we're going to jump all the way to the end where John has a revelation from God about what happens in the future. And this is in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. And this is why people need to be saved. In Revelation 20, 11 through 15, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We have all sinned against God. 
and our only hope of not having our names blotted out is that Jesus already paid the price of our sin and atoned for what I have done with his own life. He gave it up. He died in my place so that my name would not be struck or blotted from the book of life. And that's why people need to be saved, because there is coming a judgment, and we will be judged according to what we have done. And if our names are not found written in the book of life, we will experience the second death, the lake of fire. Jesus told uh, his disciples in Matthew, I believe it's 23, that the lake of fire had been prepared for not us, but for the devil and his angels. All right. So now you know why people need to be saved, okay? And you know what to tell them, right? Two verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. All right? So let's remember that. Now, how can you go about doing this job of telling people about Jesus? About how are you going to do this when someone doesn't come up and ask you, how can I be saved? Well, the Bible gives us probably more, but at least three that I recognize, <clears throat> ways to reach people. One of them is your character. The, so the Lord tells us that as Christians, we experience this thing. When the Spirit fills us, He produces something. He produces fruit. Let's look at Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the, spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the Lord creates this in us. When we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. And he produces fruit out of our lives. And this fruit that he produces, you know what it's for? It's so you can tell you're a good Christian. Right? But I'll ask you a more secular question. What is fruit for? Can anyone tell me? It is for this purpose. The fruit that falls from the tree has seeds in it. And the seeds then go, are carried away by the birds and dropped on the ground and they become new trees, right? So the seeds that are in the, plant, the fruit become another plant, right? So the Lord spoke to me a while ago, a couple years, uh, maybe it was three now, I went on an Emmaus walk, which is a Methodist church event, and a friend from work sponsored me. And during that time, one of the, one of the fellows was speaking, and the Lord very clearly said to me, the seeds of the kingdom are in the fruit of the Spirit. So when your character displays the fruit of the Spirit, there's something in there that God has put. And maybe that is for that person to go, oh, this person's different. Why do they have joy? I know most of you are always joyful, so this is the, uh, probably the biggest fruit we all produce, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. People look at that and they go, ah, or this person, maybe out of that you helped someone. This is an opportunity 
to talk about Jesus, right? In that place where someone has recognized that this person is different, why is that? You have an opportunity to say it's because of Jesus. Or most of us can't go that far because we're just too afraid. Because I tell you, there's a real spiritual barrier that makes you not want to say anything about Jesus in our culture. You can talk about Muhammad, but don't talk about Jesus. All right? So there's two other things that we use in, to break through that barrier. One of them is preaching. Yes, Eliana can be a preacher to her friends at school. She can do that. I can do that. You can do that. Preaching is what Paul did. You remember he went out and he told people about Jesus sort of in a way that was to everybody. So there was preaching. Yes, you are and can be a preacher. It doesn't have to be ordained to go talk about Jesus to people. Remember Paul, he would always ask in all of the letters he wrote, all of the books of our Bible, he would ask for boldness, that people would pray to give him boldness and courage so that he could preach the good news. So yes, when you, when you imbibe the Bible and you've learned about Jesus and he's messed and changed your life, messed with your life and changed it, and he's done that to me a number of times, um, <clears throat> you can talk about Jesus. You can preach. And finally, another thing you can do that's easy and probably falls into the category most of us could do the most easily is our testimony. So when you're talking to friends and they say, oh, where do you come from? Well, there's a good opportunity to talk about how the Lord brought you here. I remember just yesterday getting a haircut. Uh, the lady asked me where I was from. And Susan would go, oh, no. Oh, no. So I got to tell her how the Lord gave me a vision in Fayetteville. I was having problems thinking about which job I should take. And he showed me a, a path that split in two, and it went up, and it came back together. And right there at the end of the path was Jesus. And he says, it doesn't matter. I'm at the end of both. So he gave me the freedom to choose the one I wanted. All right? Because he's at the end of both. Guess what? On this pathway of life, He's at the end. And if you're not a believer, he'll be the judge. If you are a believer, then he'll be your redeemer. <clears throat> All right, so the testimony you have is a way that you can tell people about it. Now, where do I do this? Okay, well, I just was so encouraged by one of Ben's sermons. He pointed this out. You remember the fellow in the Gadarenes who was so demonically oppressed and, and filled with demons that he could break the chains of the local people that bound him? Well, he was saved by Jesus. Literally, Jesus cast all the demons out of him. And he's standing there, and Jesus is about to leave. And what does he do? He begs Jesus to let him go with him. This is my Savior. Let me go with you, Jesus. And what does Jesus tell him? Luke 8, 38, 39. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. You're here in this city, not by accident. You didn't choose your parents. Somebody did. That would be the Lord. And you're here for whatever purposes God has. Your job, 
your place in life, this is your place. Let that be, let this be your mission field, okay? You can testify about Jesus, about what he's done for you, about how you got to the place you're at, to people in general conversation. And if that's combined with the fruit of the Spirit, you just might have a plant start growing. And they might say, how can I be saved? That doesn't happen to everyone. But it did happen to Paul and Silas when, uh, I don't know if it was Silas, Paul and his companion, they had been uh, beaten and thrown in jail and at midnight they were singing and an earthquake came and all the doors opened and uh, the jailer said, oh, I'm going to be killed because his prisoners escaped. Apparently that was a death penalty if you let a prisoner escape in that time, a little bit different than our time. Um, But he said, no, we're all here. And so eventually the jailer comes and he says to him, how can I be saved? He literally said that. Did you know what Paul said to him in response? They said, Acts 16, 31, which is not up here, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. He didn't say, know that you're a sinner and invite Jesus into your heart. He just said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. All right, so testimony. And now to finish up, if I were to remind anybody, what would you say if someone said, how can I be saved? You could just know, your verses you memorized, John 3, 16, that might be enough. But if you want to know how that process works, it's a combination of belief and action. It's the confession is the action, and the belief in the heart is the foundation Those two things are faith. And when you call on the name of the Lord, that's faith. And it's by faith, it's through grace, the kindness of God. By faith, the belief in God and the acting on it that you are saved. All right. And so one last thing I'll leave you with. When uh, Martha and Mary, they had a brother And Jesus loved this family. When they died, when that brother died, Jesus wasn't there. And so he comes along, and Martha had said to him, "Uh, If you had been here, Lord, he wouldn't have died. See that? She says, Lord. Anyway, in John 11, 25 through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? All right. Hopefully you are now primed to answer the question, how can I be saved? God bless you. Hey there. How's it going, Ben? That was, that was awesome. Uh, so he talked about, uh, about why we're here, the mission that we're, every Christian is a part of, whether they realize they volunteered for it or not. Um, what I want to share on is maybe something that will help on that mission, help you. Um, One page of notes. 
one big scripture. That's what we're going to talk about. But uh, this is something that the Lord, like, really made clarified, or uh, it just is an amazing thing that, that God showed me um, not too long ago, maybe a month ago. And it's something that everybody's going to say, well, I kind of knew that, but wow, it really impacted my life. And it has to do with how the Lord has set us free Christians. This is, this is a message for Christians. If you want to be a Christian, please come at the end of the meeting <laughs> or even right now and say, how can I be saved? Uh, but what, you know, for, for us Christians, um, we were at one point not Christians. And uh, when we became Christians, things changed in an in a amazing cosmic way, but it really didn't maybe impact our lives or our understandings. There's something in Scripture that makes it pretty clear that when we become Christians, God gives us everything. We're given Christ. We're given the Holy Spirit. But maturing is, is kind of growing in the understanding of what God has already done in your life. And as you understand that more, you walk more in it. You participate more in the life of God. That, that's what the Scripture talks about. And, uh, but when we look out in the world and, and look at ourselves as well, we can see that, that we have baggage. Is it just me? It's just me, isn't it? <laughs> I'm the only one with baggage. <laughs> no, I think we all have baggage. Some of us are like test cases. I think I have more baggage just so I can learn this, but I believe it's true about you. And that baggage is, is interesting because we live in time, right, where we have a past, we have a present, and we have a future. And really, the only decisions and things, the actions we take, all happen in, in the now, right now. We have a future coming up. We have a past in the back. But right now... You know, this is where we act. We take action. Um, now, my past is full of baggage. It's full of mistakes, outrageous sins. I mean, you wouldn't believe, looking at mild-mannered me right now, what kind of sins I could commit. But I guarantee you, I've committed some outrageous, you know, Ten Commandment sins. I won't tell you if I killed anybody or not. That's a, you know, that's the standard. Well, I, I haven't ever killed anybody, but some people have killed somebody. But, you know, I've done outrageous things in my past and things I'm terribly ashamed of. And you know what? I did some of those yesterday. <laughs> like just talking with my wife, you know, sometimes, bloop, it's outrageous. And it's shameful and it's sinful. And guess what? If we believe the scriptures, Jesus covered that. Jesus covered that. That doesn't mean I don't have to get right with my wife and stuff like that. But I'm talking about the baggage of sin and shame, all that stuff that we turn around and we say, oh, this is horrible. Jesus has covered that. And we do not have to carry it, drag that thing around. We do not have to let that impact our lives. You know, Paul said, forgetting what is behind, you know, because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's how amazing what he did on the cross. 
So we have this past that we have this guilt and shame for, and then we have the future. And I don't know about you, but I am a super fearful guy. I was sitting there thinking, I wonder when Vic's going to be over because I'm going to have to sit up. I mean, stand up and, and talk. And what if people laugh at me? See? See? <laughs> what if people laugh at me? And so the future, I mean, that fear was about things in the future. You know, what if I'm sick? What if I lose my job? Blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? We have promises from God that he is with us, and at the end, we are together with him forever. He will never leave us or forsake us. So that baggage that we have in the future, God takes care of. And it's all in one scripture, you know, uh, well, one section of scripture. Uh, Romans 1 through 5, 1 through 5. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, which means we've been right, made righteous by faith, just like uh, Vic was talking about, becoming a Christian, we've been justified by faith. We have, that's present tense, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's something we have now, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Have you ever thought about what that means? We'll talk about that in a minute. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, who has, who has been given to us. Raise your hand if you think that this scripture is addressed to you as a Christian. That means all of this is true for us as Christians. So our past is forgiven. We walk in time. Right now I'm in the present. Driving to church today, we drove separate cars, but I guarantee you if we had driven in the same car, I would have done something I needed to repent of. You know, Debbie would have said something to me and I would have said, don't bug me. I've got to preach today. And then it's like, oh no. Well, (laughs) God has dealt with that. So, in the future, all these things that are plausible that, and implausible that I could be afraid of, I bet you anything, there are people walking around today dragging around the burden of an extraterrestrial takeover. They are worried about UFOs taking over their world. I guarantee you, there's somebody out there not me. That's not been one of my major worries. But, you know, or worry that is my car going to make it to work today? That kind of stuff. All those things uh, has been replaced. That fear, that's kind of like an orphan fear, a fear of, you know, your parent not being around or something. So uh, has been replaced with this hope of glory. So because of Christ, here, here's 
this is kind of funny because I'm, I'm trying to make like a sermon, but really what I'm doing is I'm restating exactly what it says up here. So if, if you're comfortable with what we just read, you can just like, you know, look at your phone for the next couple of minutes. <laughs> because of Christ, we have forgiveness, peace with God, and are accepted by God. When God says, you're okay, you're okay. You know, there used to be a book that said, I'm okay, you're okay. You know, like somehow me and Ben, we could have this pact and I'm okay, you're okay, Ben. We're all okay, but that's, that's kind of dumb. But when God says you're okay, you're okay. And what it says is, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, what that means exactly is that God says you're okay. That's what that exactly means. That's what righteousness is about. Because of Christ, we have forgiveness, peace with God, are accepted by God. When God says you're okay, you're okay. Now, now, right the second, we stand in God's grace. That is something that you could, you know, meditate on all day today. What in the world does that mean, standing in God's grace? It's like, where are you, Alan? I'm right here standing in God's grace. And it would be the truth, the absolute truth. And you can say it. And it doesn't matter, you know, I'm at work and my boss is yelling at me and I'm right there standing in God's grace. That's what it says. It says, staying in God's grace. Because of Christ, we are promised, oh, because of Christ, we are promised by God that everything will work out for us. Ultimately, we will be with God in glory forever. So it is a promise. There, you know, there is kind of a thing out there that says Christians aren't going to have problems. You know, if you just have enough faith, you can kind of faith away your problems. I don't think that's the promise of God. I don't think the New Testament talks about that. What it talks about is God will be with you, and it's going to turn out great. Ultimately, it's going to turn out great. And that's what it talks about in the next little section where it says, even hard times can't stop us because going through these hard times ultimately strengthens our hope. So even the hardships that we go through don't crush us. They strengthen. They wind up. Their ultimate effect on us is to make us grow in this hope that is like, you know, there's optimism. You know, I, I know this one guy. He's amazing. I hope he's a believer because if he's not, I don't know why he's so optimistic. But he's really an optimist, and I feel like such a grouch when I'm talking around him because he's so optimistic? Well, this is like optimistic on turned all the way up. Hope is in Christ is like turning the dial of optimism all the way up to its ultimate peak, even when you're going through hard times, because they can't stop you. It says, uh, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now we get to this final little section. So this is about the past. We're forgiven. The future, we have nothing ultimately to fear. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in another place, don't worry about anything. 
That's an awesome statement. Don't worry about anything for that very reason. It's our past. We're forgiven. The future, we have hope. Even when we're going through hard times, we have hope. But then there's this right now thing, kind of like standing in God's grace. It's like hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame. I remember this back when the Jesus movement, I was avoiding the Jesus movement. You guys are probably way too young to know that in the late 70s and 70s, there was this movement of young people getting saved or coming back to Jesus and being in high school wearing their Jesus bling and stuff. And, and I just was avoiding these people. And there was a statement, are you high? And here was the, what the Jesus freak response was, I'm high on life. And I thought, oh, that's despicable. That really bothered me. But it's the absolute truth. It's the absolute truth. It says that even though hope is about the future, there is a current impact on our lives. God gives us his love. God gives us his love through the Holy Spirit now. And it really dovetails into what Vic was talking about demonstrating and being a witness by the fruit of the Spirit. As we're walking with the Lord now, in the now, it is not us, but it is his Holy Spirit that produces fruit in our lives. And God's love is poured out on us. It's poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us now. So, God has taken care of the baggage of the past. He's taken care of the baggage of the future. And in the current now, we are free to be filled with the Holy Spirit and have our actions and decisions transformed by that, by that freedom and by the power of the Holy Spirit. The end. Amen. Man, that was great. Thanks, guys. So uh, I just want to lead you in a little bit of a response. We'll pray together. Um, there's a couple of things that I picked up on. I'm sure you picked up on other things. One was if you're not a believer, um, Vic's presentation of the gospel was one of the clearest I've ever heard, and you probably know it now. Like, if you're not a believer, certainly if you were listening at all, you know you're not. And, and please don't leave this room without sorting that out. And I'm pretty sure uh, after hearing that, you not only know that you're not a believer, but you know exactly how to become one. And so I want to, you know, just that's something I think you can do on your own. But at some point, as he was saying, it must become it come out of your heart in a confession, and that involves someone hearing you. <laughs> and so uh, pray with somebody. Don't just kind of leave and go, I believe, and whisper your confession quietly and then slip out the door. Like pray with somebody so that there's witnessing a confession is important because it confirms that you actually said what you said, believe what you believe. And you see that person again, and there's somebody out there in the world other than you that knows what you believe. And it 
begins this community aspect of what it means to be a Christian. Okay, so don't take that out and like, I'm going to keep my faith private. That's not how this works. Okay, so I just want to encourage you, if you're in that place, just we'll, in a minute we'll close and we'll have people here that can pray with you. Just come and talk to them, say, you know, this is kind of what's going on in my heart, and they'll pray with you and encourage you, okay? Um, and the other is, as Alan was talking, I just started thinking about that this seems to be, at least in my experience, the place where we get the most attacked is in this shame history thing of all this stuff, and, and it seems like it keeps kind of crawling forward out of the ooze of our past and climbs into the present and affects what we do now, and it's a constant battle. And so I want to just pray for us. I think there's a repentance we need to do, like I'm believing something that's not true. Jesus died so that I wouldn't be chained to this stuff in the past, yet I keep going back to it. And to repent of that and say, God, I'm going to once again confess that I believe what you say, that the past is really is behind me and covered by your blood, and my future really does have hope and, and to confess that. But also, I want to pray for you, just as your pastor, that God would do a work in your heart right now that would transform you and that you would have faith in that. Does that sound good? So why don't we stand up together, and I'll, I'll pray. And Don't just listen to me pray. You pray too, okay? Um, so, God, we just come before you now. And first, God, all of us who are um, believers in the room, God, we pray right now for anyone who has maybe just realized they're not or has always known that they're not and they're in that place of decision. God, I pray that you would speak to them now by your spirit. Open up their heart. God, that their mustard seed size, teeny tiny, itty bitty, weak faith um, would appear in their hearts. God, you don't expect us to have big faith. Um, you only expect us to have it, <laughs> however small it is. So God, I just pray now that whatever this war is going on in their hearts, God, that you would bring them to a point of faith and belief in you, however weak it may be. God, that you would um, justify them this morning. Give them the courage to come and speak to somebody this morning. God, I pray too for the rest of us that by your spirit right now that you would bring us um, to the point where we can see our past through your eyes and not through ours. God, through the eyes and the lens of the gospel that would see all of our mistakes, all of our sin, whether it was five minutes ago, 10 years ago, whatever it may be, however big or small, God, that we would see it as covered by Jesus in his death and resurrection. It no longer has bearing on us. God, we repent for not believing that. We repent um, for um, allowing ourselves to question it. And God, we put our faith in you about our future. God, for the things that we worry about, about our health, about our kids, about how well we're going to perform tomorrow and these in our various responsibilities, God, about what's going to happen with this nation, what's going to happen 
with our, um, our finances and all these things that we just constantly worry about. God, I pray that you would give us faith now that we would have hope. God, I pray for anyone who feels hopeless this morning that you would give them hope, not in themselves, but in you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.